0: Wonderful to have the FLA band with us today. I was blessed to hear them at first and third service. They did such a brilliant job. Of course, that last little piece you saw there was about the church retreat coming up. Um, that's May first through the third. Now let me give you a little uh, notion of our schedule for the days ahead. After today, we've got two more Sabbaths in our Better Together series. The series which includes the small groups which meet. So there's. Two more weeks for groups to meet as well, and I hope you've been able to participate and you've been blessed by your participation uh, in those different groups. So, so we've got a little more time to go on that. Um, I won't actually be here next Sabbath. Um, Steve Sherman will be speaking next Sabbath, and he'll be talking about uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So you're going to want to hear what he brings on this and how they were better together. And then uh, the week after that will be the end of this series. It's going to be a very special Sabbath with a number of neat elements involved that week. So I hope you'll be here. Then uh, May 2, that Sabbath is a little different because that's church retreat Sabbath. So what's going to be happening here is we're only going to have two services. Uh, take place here on May 2nd. Now, I apologize for my voice. Um, I'm hoping I will make it all the way to the end of the service. I've been a little sick here lately, and I got through first, so I'm very hopeful. But if it sounds a little funny, that's, that's the reason. Anyway, um, <clears throat> on May 2, we're only going to have two services. We'll have a service at 10 and another one at 11.30. The services will be identical. It'll be our typical third service, we'll do it twice. Um, The bridge is actually intentionally not meeting that week to try to encourage folks to go to the retreat or participate in another activity that they'll be doing as well. So make a note of that. Don't come to first service on May 2 or you'll be real lonely here all by yourself. So. Most of you don't make that mistake. Most people who who make it to first did it on purpose and do it all the time. So there you go. All right, so that's the schedule. Now, when you came in today, you may have noted that your um, Wi-Fi device was not working properly. Well, after the speech we gave last week about how we're trying to make sure we can keep the stream up, well, sure enough, everything worked great on our streaming until 11.30 last Sabbath. And then the thing crashed out, and then mysteriously started working just fine again about 12.44. Well, I think if you do the math, around 11.30 was when the most people with devices were in the room, and about 12.44 was when most of you got to your cars and you came off of the system. So we're still wrestling with figuring out exactly what's causing what on it. This week, just to run an experiment, um, Pastor Delwin shut down all the Wi-Fi in all the areas. So, if your device isn't working today, that's the reason. And uh, (laughs) thank you, man. (laughs) We'll see how we do, right? I'm okay because Alicia's here at this service, and if I get partway through and can't do it, then she'll be glad to take it over. So, she's pretty good at finishing sentences even when I don't need her to. So, (laughs) we should be just fine. (laughs) All right, I spilled on myself, sorry about that, okay, (laughs) what was I saying, I can't remember it all. (laughs) Oh yeah, so the Wi-Fi's down, if your device isn't working, that's the reason. We'll see what we can figure out in the days ahead uh, to try to get all of it going again, but that's what we're doing today. Um, Okay, so we're part of the — the whole theme for the year is engaged, this idea of of engaging. Engaging in ministry, engaging in our relationship with the Father, engaging with each other. And and this particular series focuses on better together. We're better when we're engaged with each other, better together. so, you know, you see the gears each week and never know for sure where they're going to be. It's been kind of a crazy month, so all the different things they've been all over. I thought Kirk did a good job coming up with a new idea for this week, so uh, — but it really makes the point. You can have all kinds of power, but if it's not engaged, it's not going to get anything done. And so, uh, this is a church that has a lot of power and we want to get engaged, and part of that each week is we're giving you a chance uh, to meet someone that's a member of the church, and often we've chosen someone that's uh, very appropriate or or very nice or or that we're very proud to have up front, but this week we've chosen someone else. This week we've chosen Mark Offenbach, and so we want to go ahead and ask him to come up here right now. (laughs) Sorry. Okay, um, Pastor Barb told him he had to stick real closely to the script, so I'm sure he will. Yeah, where is it, right. Mark is married to Cindy. They have two adult children, Adam and Aaron. He's a dentist by profession. There's always something a little funny about people that go into dentistry, I'm just, yeah. And uh, so he's a dentist. He's been a member here since 1972, actively involved in the Sabbath school class that meets in my office. And they do a nice job getting in and out of there. He's a part of the AV team, very often seated right up there. A part of Ezekiel's Wheels, the Forest Lake Church Motorcycle Club. And we're so pleased to have you here today Thank you. for us all to get to know you a little better. So here we go. Question number one, tell us five things we would see
1: when we walk through the door of your home. <clears throat> well, hopefully you'd see some smiling and welcoming faces. All right. You'll see the entryway table with the pictures of my smiling family. Yeah, One wall is a large wall of Florida stone with a fireplace in the living room. And you'll be able to see straight through to our backyard because we have 20 feet of glass on our family room. You can see straight out the back.
0: that was only four. Oh, it was four? I think so. Oh, okay. Would what, we say we'd see You'll you see and your wife smiling? You. If we saw What's that?
1: You'll see a dog comes welcoming you. There you here. go. You get the
0: dog there as They have a lovely house and it's a lovely place and it does. You come in and it's all open in the back. He often hosts when the AV group gets together uh, for their uh, little potlucks and so forth. They often host there and it's a lovely place to go. So, all right.
1: What phrase do you use most often? Well, doing what I do, people are always asking me, is it going to hurt? <laughs> <laughs> so I lovingly have to reassure them that I won't feel a thing.
0: You won't feel it. <laughs> no, I'll be just fine, thank you, yeah. Okay. Before you make a phone call, do you ever rehearse what you're going to say and why? Not really
1: on that one, I, God gave me a brain, I know how to use it, I can pretty much talk <laughs> on the fly. Can, can you do that? Yeah. Yeah, not all of us can, all right. <laughs> if
0: you could choose anyone who would, it's on the next page,
1: oh, who would you pick as a mentor? Well, that's a tough question because none of my friends are perfect. <laughs> you know, I have friends that I admire their work ethic, I have friends that I admire Their humor. I have other friends that I admire their youth and vigor and I have other friends that I admire their spirituality. So if I could pick and choose pieces of each friend and put together one whole person, that would be the ideal thing. But I don't think anybody on earth is that one person.
0: All right. There you go. And number five, what is the best way to make friends with someone?
1: Probably to be a friend yourself.
0: All right. There you have it. Brother Mark, the dentist. (laughs) He's also a lot of fun and makes a lot of humorous jokes, and I think you got that idea from that interaction. All right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, for this chance to be here, for your spirit, for the fact that we have each other. We thank you for the FLA band that has blessed us today, and for Mr. Tavashi who leads out. Lord, we pray... Your continued blessing on them as they continue to learn and grow and as their school year starts to draw to an end. And uh, may they continue to be a blessing to others as well. Now, Lord, as we turn to your word, please open our minds to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. What I wanna do today is I wanna look at a few stories in the Bible that are all centered around one character. Or actually, to say that is to say it wrong. Because really none of them are centered around this character because this particular Bible character isn't a center around person. He's an encourager. An encourager always comes around those who tend to end up at the center, but but very often the encourager themselves is not the one right at the center. We start in Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is the very early stages of what would become the Christian church. This was started out as just the the disciples and, and the ones with them left over in the upper room after the crucifixion, then in Acts 2 it's the, the day of Pentecost and, and suddenly there's a couple thousand and, and then it goes on from there and by now there's somewhere around 5,000 or so but they're all still in Jerusalem. It really hasn't spread out much yet. They had worked out ways that they could sustain their community in this time. Now this isn't a blueprint because not all the other churches did this, but this is what they were doing here. And it's relevant to a story that would take place very early on. But there's one more piece of prelude to this story, and I'll read it to you here, it's because this is where the character we're gonna to consider today, this is where he's introduced. Verse 36 of Acts chapter four. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Okay, I want you to notice a couple things in this story here. We're introduced to this character named Joseph, and we find out very early on a couple very interesting things about him. First of all, he's a Levite. Okay, he's not of the tribe of Judah. He's of the tribe of Levi. Now he's obviously not a priest because I think he would have been identified as one of the priests. All the priests came from the tribe of the Levites, but you had to be a descendant of Aaron to be a part of the priesthood. So apparently he was not a descendant of Aaron, he's, but he is a Levite. Not only is he a Levite, <clears throat> the Bible tells us he's from Cyprus. He's not from Judea. He's not from Galilee. He's part of the diaspora. You see, in those days, many of the Jewish people, and and that included the Levites and some others, had left the area and were living in other parts of the Greek Empire. Well, Barnabas was a Levite who'd been living in Cyprus. What that means is even though he probably lived in a, in a Jewish community there, he had a lot more interaction and exposure and knowledge of the Greeks. He knew about the Greeks. But being a Levite, he also knew all about Israel and what it meant to be a part of the Jewish nation in that way of worship. So he's a uniquely qualified person. So Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. Have you ever had a nickname? Have you ever had a name people called you? I, I hope if they called you son of anything, it was son of encouragement. I'm hoping for that. Because that's such a nice nickname, isn't it? He was the son of encouragement. They chose this for him. They called him that. And we see him doing something here in this story that someone like that you would expect would do. So apparently he had some possessions. I don't know that he was fabulously wealthy or anything like that, but he apparently had some possessions and he sold a field that he owned and he brought the money and he put it at the apostles' feet. Now he's not the only one who did this. Yet for the relevance of the story, because people knew who this guy was, because everyone seemed to think so highly of him, he's used here as the example of someone who did this and then brought the money. Because you know what's going to happen in the very next chapter? We're going to get a not-so-happy story. We're going to get the story of Ananias and Sapphira, who are going to want to be considered the same way Barnabas is, but they themselves are not actually committed to the cause quite the same way he is. So Barnabas has sold his field and he's brought his gift and he's gone away happy and everyone's been encouraged and they think, hey, I want everybody to think about me like they think about Barnabas. So they go out and sell their field but they keep a little of the money back, if you remember that story. Now it probably would have been okay for them to do that if they'd have just been honest about it. They said, yeah, we sold a field, but we need some of this money, but we're going to give this part. That would have probably been fine. Now, they wouldn't have gotten the acclaim. And that's really what they were after. And that's really what was the point of that story. But isn't it interesting? The first time we meet Barnabas, he is presented as the positive example right before we get the story of the negative example. It's interesting. Well, we're going to run into Barnabas again. The next time we're going to find him is going to be in Acts chapter 9. Now Acts chapter 9 tells the story of a man named Saul. And this man named Saul was a persecutor of the the believers in Jerusalem. And the story goes that, that when Stephen is stoned, they laid their coats at the feet of a man named Saul. And after this, Saul begins a systematic persecution of the Jewish people who were believing in Jesus. And so successful is he in this that he gets permission to travel to Damascus now to persecute the ones there and bring them back. So he has orders, but you know what happens. Jesus intervenes on Saul's journey to Damascus and he sees a vision. He goes through quite an experience where he loses sight and then one of the brothers in Damascus comes and prays for him and he gets his sight back and then he does an amazing thing. This one who came to Damascus to take people back to Jerusalem to get them in trouble for believing in Jesus now starts teaching about Jesus in Damascus. Can you imagine how confusing that would have been? Both if you are the ones expecting him to come and beat up on those who believe in Jesus and if you're the ones who are believing in Jesus. You're thinking, wait a minute. We heard about you, you came here for trouble. Well, it was hard to believe there, but it was even harder to believe somewhere else. This is where we pick up the story, Acts 9 verse 26. When Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples But they were all afraid of him not believing that he really was a disciple. Put yourself in this situation. Let's say there is someone who is persecuting the believers in this church. And each week we show up here and one or two or five or ten are missing because the persecutor has taken you all and thrown you in prison. And then one day we show up here and there he is standing out front and he comes up to me and he says, hey, can I have about ten minutes to talk today? And I'm like, no, no you can't. And he comes to you and he says, hey, can I talk for a little bit in your Sabbath school class today? And you're thinking, no, you can't do that. Because we might say something in that class that's going to get us arrested. You'd have to wonder. In fact, I'm not even sure we'd let the deacons let him in. I think we might say, don't let that guy in. We might even have family that he'd put in prison. So I think we'd be pretty resistant, wouldn't we? And so when Saul shows up and he comes, the disciples are like, I don't know, I don't think so. And it is at a time like this that someone special has to step up. And this is what we find in verse 27. It says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. So apparently Barnabas said, oh, okay, wait a minute. I'm gonna figure out for sure what's going on with this guy. And it's not written in the word, but I'll bet you what he did was he got in touch with him and he said, all right, Saul, tell me your story. Why are you coming around here talking about Jesus? Because last time you were here, you're a persecutor. Well, so he sits and tells him. And Barnabas is convinced that this Saul is for real. And so Barnabas took him, verse 27, and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. Barnabas took a chance for this guy. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. Then the believers learned, when the believers learned of this, they took Saul down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the first time we see him associated with Saul is that Saul's trying to join the believers, but it took somebody with the standing and the authority and the respect of Barnabas to reach out to him, befriend him, and bring him into the group. An outsider always needs someone to reach out and bring them into the group. Now we're going to hear about Barnabas again. The next time is in Acts chapter 11. And what we find out here, we begin in verse 19, it says, now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. What happened was after Saul's persecution began, the, the believers, many of them got driven out of Jerusalem and they went away. But instead of going away and forgetting about Jesus, they went away and they told the Jews everywhere they went about Jesus, and so the church began to spread, just like Jesus said it would. It would start in Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then the ends of the world. Well, here it was. <clears throat> but to this point. It was still happening among the Jews. But now watch this in verse 20. This is Acts 11 verse 20. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So what you've got now is some of these believers, they've gotten out of Jerusalem, they've gotten out there with the people, they've told the Jews about Jesus, but then one of them said, hey, let's tell the Greeks. That's the kind of crazy idea you only have once you get out of Jerusalem. It's hard to have that idea if you stay too close to the center. But you get out there and all of a sudden, this story of Jesus seems so good, you just tell it to some Greeks and crazy thing happens. They start believing. Well, of course, news like this travels, verse 22, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem and there isn't a parenthetical there, but I suspect it said, and they were a little nervous about it all. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Now, Barnabas isn't described as one of the leaders of the church or or one of, you know, he's not James, he's not Peter, he's not one of the disciples, yet when there was an issue that needed someone with a good judgment, the church went and found Barnabas. And I think it was particularly him that they sought after because did you notice the ones who began spreading to the Greek the word about Jesus came from Cyprus? And Barnabas came from Cyprus. They knew that he knew, he may have known the people, but he knew they knew their culture, they knew the Greek culture, so they sent him to Antioch. Verse 23, when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Now this is awesome, verse 24. If you could have something like this put about you in the Bible, that would be wonderful. It says, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now it's possible that what this means is he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and as a result of his preaching, a great number of people came to the Lord. But it doesn't specifically say that, does it? It says he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. But then it says, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. You know what I suspect? I suspect the explosion that was taking place wasn't because the great speaker Barnabas had arrived, but rather because Barnabas the encourager had arrived. And Barnabas the encourager was going to those men who came from Cyprus and saying, you guys are doing a great job and I can see the spirit of God at work in what you're doing keep doing it and going to the ladies and saying you 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 women are doing a fantastic work here God is putting his spirit on you too. get out there and keep doing this and I think it took off not because Barnabas was great but because Barnabas encouraged the church and the church took off verse 25 so things are going really well Barnabas has kind of become the head, if you will, of this amazing thing going on, but he never was trying for that. Watch what happens here, verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Barnabas is there and he's thinking, wow, this is really going well. You know who would be great here right now? Saul, I gotta go get that guy. So he goes, and when he found him, verse 26, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul, note the order there. Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So Antioch becomes the center of a new reality for the church. Jerusalem is still the hub where it was born, but Antioch becomes this new reality where the church now is breaking the bonds of just being with the Jews and going outside. And here is Barnabas and Saul at the heart of this. Chapter 13 begins with these words. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit This is verse 4, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. Why do you suppose the first missionary journey went to Cyprus? That's where Barnabas was from. They figured they could, at least they knew a little bit about that area, let's go make a try there. When they arrived at Salamis, verse 5, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. Now, this is not John the Apostle. This is John Mark. Remember this. We're going to come back to him in a minute. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Eliamus, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, notice this verse, then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. So Paul steps up here. And everything up to now, we've known him as Saul. Now all of a sudden, who was also called Paul, we hear about him stepping forward in this crisis and speaking directly and then a mist and a darkness comes over this man's eyes and the, the proconsul continues to believe. But what this verse marks is a shift in the story, a shift in the book of Acts, and a shift in the perception between Barnabas and Saul, now Paul. Because by the time we get to verse 13, we find these words. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia. Everything else before this has been Barnabas and Saul, with Barnabas' name first. All of a sudden, it's Paul. You go to verse 42, and you find these words. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue. All of a sudden it's turned around and never again will the name Barnabas be first. It will always be Paul first. Now there's an awful lot of people who after working really hard for the Lord and gaining some standing and some in position and bringing along somebody of quality might be pretty offended if the point came where they're no longer considered the most important part of the team. But that doesn't seem to be a problem for Barnabas. The story will go on and they will have some amazing experiences and many Gentiles will come to believe in the whole crisis of, of Acts 15, the Jerusalem council where they're trying to decide what, what do the Gentiles need to do to become believers. Paul and Barnabas will go there together and make the case and primarily it will now be Paul making the case for the Gentiles. And they will make the decisions of the Jerusalem council not to require the, the Gentiles to take on all the things of the Jewish law. We'll go down further in that chapter, verse 36 of Acts 15, and we find these words, sometime later Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. They decided it would be a good idea to do some follow-up. So Paul says, hey, Barnabas, let's go back through all those places we went. Let's see how everybody's doing. Verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. Barnabas is like, great idea. Let's take Mark. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Here's Barnabas again saying, great idea, let's bring him along. And here's Paul saying, "No, nah, we can't count on that guy. Isn't it funny? The one who was on the outside before that needed Barnabas to reach out and bring him onto the inside, now he's on the inside saying, ah, no, he let us down. He can't come in here. We've got to be careful with that, don't we? After someone has gone out of their way to bring us into the inside, do we then become persecutors of everyone on the outside? Fortunately, Barnabas never changed. Paul said, no, I don't think he should come, he failed us. Verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement that Paul and Barnabas parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. And it's at this point that Barnabas disappears from the rest of the book. The rest of the book is about Paul and all the amazing things that Paul will do. There's a couple mentions of Barnabas. He comes up a couple times in a couple of the letters of Paul. But no more mention of his stories. We're not really sure what happened when Barnabas and Mark went to Cyprus. We don't have those details. But there are some interesting things beyond that. Barnabas was an encourager. I don't know if there's others that he encouraged that came along, but I do know of two for sure. One named Saul who used to be a persecutor who became Paul the great evangelist. And one named Mark. Okay, real quick. Name the book of the New Testament that Barnabas wrote. Nah, don't fall for that. He didn't write a book in the New Testament. But he fostered Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. And he fostered Mark, who scholars believe wrote the first gospel. Barnabas didn't write the New Testament, but he made a place for the people who did. The book of Barnabas was written in the life of Paul. And the book of Barnabas was written in the life of Mark. And they wrote the Bible. This is what encouragers do in the church. Encouragers don't need to be the center of attention. In fact, they generally don't like it. Encouragers come to people who have abilities but are on the outside and give them a hand and bring them in. Encouragers come to people who quit last time and say, you know what? You were young. I think you can do it this time. Encouragers keep giving you another chance. They come and tell you, keep believing. You're really good at that. Keep doing it. You know what? You sang beautifully. They build the church from within. Churches desperately need encouragers. Encouragers aren't worried about at the end of the day whether they're gonna get a mention, whether their name's gonna come first. Encouragers are only worried about the mission of God and the people of God. Barnabas doesn't show up anywhere else in that whole book, but I have a hard time thinking of anybody who played a more important role in the book of Acts than Barnabas. He shows up at so many critical points. Right when the church is starting, right when Paul is coming on board, right when the gospel is going to the Gentiles, as soon as they start the whole missionary enterprise. He is there, but he's not there as the hero. He's there as the encourager. First Thessalonians 5 verse 11 Paul would write later in life, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. I wonder if he had Barnabas in mind when he wrote that. Second Corinthians 13, finally brothers and sisters rejoice strive for full restoration, encourage one another Be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Are you an encourager? If you are an encourager, we desperately need you to engage. Because we can only be better together if your encouraging voice is coming behind the ones who God is calling to do different works. You don't have to be able to do all the things yourself if God has given you a heart to encourage. To come along someone and say, you can do this. To pick out a young person who you know has ability and give them chances. It's mentoring, it's discipling, it's love, it's what encouragers do. And about encouragers, people don't say he was the greatest speaker or she was the greatest singer. They say things like they say about Barnabas, he was a good man, filled with the Holy Spirit and with faith. And because of the work he did back here, the church grew and did well. If you're an encourager, we need you because you will make us better together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the encouragers who keep believing in their brothers and sisters even when their brothers and sisters give them ample evidence to doubt and plenty of reasons to think they're not worth the risk. Lord, help us to be inspired by this story of one of your servants a man who was, from what we can tell from what we read, not worried about whether he got credit, but only wanted to see your kingdom go forward and wanted to see those you had called succeed. Lord, give us a spirit of encouragement in this place. May we, each of us, as we have opportunity, not tear down
1: with our words, but build up. In Jesus' name, amen.